WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM, Michigan State University's student-run news program. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Tonight on the show, Audrey Matus sits down with Summer Circle, a theater program coming this summer that involves adults and kids. She also sits down with a director of My Brother's Keeper, Austin Jackson. Later, we'll go to an interview with Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers from January, who are now on tour. All that more is coming up, but first, here's your weekly Impact update. Now it's time for an update from Impact News. Exposure will start in just a moment, but first, here's your weekly news update. Last November, a 12-year-old African-American boy was shot and killed by Cleveland police while playing with a replica gun. Earlier today, the city of Cleveland has reached an agreement with the Justice Department with regards to the police's excessive use of force. The details of the deal were not made immediately clear, But according to New York Times and similar talk with other cities, the Justice Department has, quote, required cities to allow independent monitors to oversee changes in the police department. Settlements are typically backed by court orders and often call for improved training and revised policies for the use of force. Next, we go to reporter Michaela Harris on recent legislation in Ireland. On Friday, voters in Ireland overwhelmingly chose to change their nation's constitution, becoming the first country in the world to legalize same-sex marriage through popular vote. The official results were announced Saturday at a Dublin Castle press conference with just over 1 million votes in favor of the landmark referendum and 700,000 voted against. More than 60% of the voters turned out to take part in this historical vote. The Prime Minister, Enda Kenny, said that prior to the vote, This could create history, and a yes vote would obliterate prejudice along with irrational fears of difference. After the vote, Kenny said that the outcome disclosed who we are, a generous, compassionate, and joyful people. With your international news, I'm Michaela Harris. Now we go to Nina Rao on a recap of the end of a late show legacy. Renowned late-night talk show host David Letterman said his last thank you and good night in front of the nation on 21st May last week. After serving 33 years of his life in late night, in which 22 of them were for CBS, the 68-year-old comedy legend signed off. Several celebrities and big names like Chris Rock, Barbara Walters, Jim Carrey, and many more appeared on his last show to show their appreciation and pay tribute to his work by cracking jokes and celebrating his legacy. For your entertainment news, I'm Nina Rao. Lastly, a heads up on local events this week. This Thursday, Lansing's Emergent Biosolutions will be getting a visit from former Florida Senator and potential Republican presidential candidate Jeb Bush. Bush will be visiting GOP clubs in Lansing, as well as stopping by a business that specializes in making vaccines, specifically the anthrax vaccine, which is used by the U.S. military and stocked by the government in case of a biological attack. Jeb has yet to announce his run for the 2016 election, However, he has made an exploratory committee and a super PAC to fund an expected run for presidency. 
Following his visit to the manufacturing facility in Lansing, Jeb Bush is making an appearance at a dinner held by Clinton County and Ingham County Republican parties. This has been your weekly news update. I've been your anchor, Audrey Matus, and Exposure starts right now. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. I am your host, Quinn Hoffman. Next up, we go to Audrey Matus as she sits down with Summer Circle, a theater program that's happening later in the summer. So I'm really happy to bring you three in with me today. We're talking about the 55th season of Summer Circle. So go around, introduce, your, um, introduce yourself, kind of say what year you're in, how you're involved in the program, just really brief stuff, introduction. Yeah, sure. I'm Katie Noyes, and I am going to be a senior next year. This is actually my first year being involved in Summer Circle, and I couldn't be more excited. Uh, my name is Andrew Buck. This is also my first season in Summer Circle, and I just graduated state. My name is Ryan Duda. This is also my first year in Summer Circle, and I'm going to be a sophomore next year. Awesome. All right, so Summer Circle, it's a seasonal outdoors event here. It's going to be at the Summer Circle Courtyard. It's like a new development here, I've heard. And it's kind of celebrating storytelling through the theater department. So we'll start with you, Katie. Maybe you can explain like um, what things we can look forward to this season. Oh, gosh. Um, you can look forward to a bit of everything. I think there is something for every single person out there. We have drama, we have comedy, we have children's shows, we have adult comedy. Um, it just, it's a wide range that I think anyone can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we have the adult show and then we have the kids show. I know, Ryan, you're involved in the kids show. Yes. Can you explain what that is and um, <laughs> what can we look forward to? So we decided to put on this children's show to cater specifically towards the younger audiences um, earlier on in the um, the time slots. And so we had one of our professors, Rob Rosnowski, take the folk tale of Peter Rabbit and sort of add his own interpretation to it. So he wrote to the entire play, and we had this other student, Shelley Peterson, and she added all of her original music to it. So it's been this awesome process of um, being able to develop this new work and work on new music. There's all these constant edits that we get. Me and Katie are in it, and so every single rehearsal there's something different. Um, it's going to be really nice for the kids to see because um, it's hilarious. Um, there's a bunch of morals. Um, there's a lot of interaction between the audience. I run into the audience a few times, interact with kids. We have kids come on stage, pretend to be like flower pots and whatnot. Um, and they're really, really going to love it. And in addition to that, we're also having a children's theater camp that they can sign up for. And we're also doing an improv workshop. And before the shows, um, for Peter Rabbit at least, we're doing face painting for the children. Okay, awesome. Do you guys know more about how people, um, what are these involved, are they the um, kids improv groups and the theater practices is that right before the peter rabbit show or when are those happening uh, so we're actually having a extended summer camp we're going to call it mm-hmm. it's a it's a few hours of mainly the department of theater and cast and crew members of summer circle uh, and we all get together and and interact with our audience because some summer circle is so much fun it's just a lot of fun. Everyone comes, everyone sits out, and the audience is right next to you, right next to the stage. You're right there, and it's a really interactive experience. So we thought we could take that to the next level uh, by offering sort of some workshops for the kids. So it'll be a bunch of games, a bunch of theater things to get them warmed up and sort of see what it's like to be the actor life, as well as, you know, put them on stage and make them feel cool and, you know, all that all that great stuff that theater can do for people that we love doing. So those camps are exclusively for the kids? They are exclusively for the kids. I'm okay. sure there's an age limit. Uh, <laughs> if you show up and you're 22, I'm sure we could work something out. Uh, but no, they are, they're of course, more catered, as Ryan said, to our younger audience. 
And also, Andrew, could you explain to us the um, more mature audience show that's coming into? Yeah, so uh, we have a late night show uh, directed by Paige Conway called Adult uh, Readings with Shel Silverstein. Uh, if you don't know Shel Silverstein, uh, he wrote um, Where the Sidewalk Ends, as well as some other poetry and short story classics. Uh but this is this is no doubt an adult section of our show. Uh, it's a little raunchier. It's a little dirtier. Um, it's funny. Uh, I think it's pretty funny. Uh, it's kind of my humor. Um, but it's it's nice because it's a huge contrast to the other four productions we're putting up. We're putting up four productions that are you know catered to children uh, as well as younger audiences. We have dramas, comedies, and then this is sort of the one that's like, hey, for all you Comedy Central people that are trying to hang out a little bit longer hang out and check out the show. That's awesome. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And Katie, what program or do you have a certain play that you're involved in that you like to speak about? Oh gosh. Um I think Ryan pretty much hit everything right on the head with Peter Rabbit. It's incredible. We also have puppets in it and we're all playing multiple characters, which is so much fun. Then um I'm also involved with one of the main stage productions called Mr. Burns, which actually all of us are in. And it is one of those interesting sort of shows that you can't quite put in one category because it touches on so many different things. It's um, a post-apocalyptic kind of world where the electricity has all gone out. And okay, right. people, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are coming together through storytelling and specifically trying to remember episodes of The Simpsons. Interesting. And that's also for a all-ages show? Um, I would, I would... 12 and up. Yeah. 12 and up. Yes. Just to 12 understand it, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll go down the line here, be like our last question. What sort of lessons do you think people will take away from watching these shows? You never know who you're going to inspire with theater. Um, you could go see a show, and especially with like Peter Rabbit, there might be a younger kid in the audience that sees this and falls in love with it and goes to their parents and be like, hey, can you sign me up for this children's camp or audition for like a children's show going on? And... I mean, if you can inspire a kid to, like, develop their passion for, like, theater or arts or whatever, um, that's uh, a huge accomplishment. And that's really what I think we are trying to accomplish with Peter Rabbit, but really with any other show. Like, you never know who's having a bad day coming to come see some theater and, you know, um, they just get something out of it that really helps them maybe take a different viewpoint on life or just, you know, you never know how theater is going to affect people. And that's really why we perform. And that's really what I think people are going to get out of it if they come see it. And then you guys like to add on to that? Uh, I mean, I would just say that, uh, you know, as far as shows go, each cast and crew and director has a very specific idea of what we think the show's about, what we would like the audience to get from it. But as Ryan said, you know, it's it's sort of random. You could show up and see Peter Rabbit and go, oh, man. I need to be fiscally responsible. And like the person next to you might be like, oh, I should hang out more in gardens or whatever. You never really know what people are going to take from it. So uh, I would just say that, you know, come for the fun and, and stay for the entertainment. And then hopefully you leave with something. And the cast always loves to interact with the audience. We're, we're all about the kind of community home environment at Summer Circle. So we want to know what the audience thinks as well. If they take away something that we may have missed in the show or just something completely different, you know, that's part of the fun of theater. Everyone gets something different from a piece of art, as Ryan was saying. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a wide variety of things that people are going to take away from it, plenty of which we think we know and more of which we have no idea. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Anything you'd like to add? I, I completely agree. As long as someone takes something away from each show, then we did our job. 
Perfect. And so where can someone go? I have a two-part question. Where can someone go to learn more about the Summer Circle and find out times and dates? And then where can they go to sign up for the kid activities? Uh, Theater.msu.edu, as they say. Uh, We'll give you all the information as far as performances, showtimes, locations for all of that. Um, I know heading the children's camp is Sarah Gurka, who is a recent graduate of our master's program in the Department of Theater. Um, And I wish she were here to speak more (laughs) about that. Uh, But I'm sure everything on the website can at least point you in the right direction. And... Uh, you know, look at the names and cast and crew, and you can ask us. We'll we'll definitely be more informed uh, as the process goes along and the start dates get closer, and we'll we'll let you know. Actually, we'll probably send you an email or something, just saying, "Hey, this is how to do that." If if anyone's interested, and come on out. And then, um, when is the first performance? Like, when are these performances starting? June tenth is when Mr. Burns opens, mm-hmm. and I know Peter Rabbit opens June twelfth. Right, so they're starting June tenth. I believe mm-hmm. we run through the twenty seventh. Uh, yes. I know the th- Book of Liz, the, the second main stage production, opens the 20th of June. Uh, and then the middle weekend, I believe, opens, um... American Plan? Yeah, The American Plan. There it is. That's <laughs> there the we one. Go. The American Plan uh, <laughs> opens in the second weekend. But yeah, we run all summer. There's shows every day, all, or not every day, Wednesday through Sunday. Um... And there's a wide variety. We'll we'll do a lot of shows in rep, so we can do one show for two weeks, and then a show will open in the middle. And so it's sort of a new lineup basically every day you go. So you could go multiple days and get a new experience every time. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to add? Come out. Say hi. Uh, <laughs> have a great time. Like, it's Summer Circle. Be outside. Enjoy the environment. Enjoy what we're doing. And if you like it, tell us. If you don't, tell us. Like, we, that's what we do. We love it. It's a fantastic atmosphere. Feel free to bring chairs with you. Yes. Yeah, chairs and coolers. Picnic, make yeah. a night out of it, date night. Yeah, make it. Um, bring oh, your yeah. family, bring kids, bring yourself, Yeah, most importantly. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, well, thank you all for coming. That was a really great conversation. Yeah. And that's the Summer Circle 50th season. Check it out. Thanks for all having right. us. Thank you. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. That was Audrey Matus as she sat down with Summer Circle, a theater group that's coming up later this summer. And we go back to her in just a moment here with the story of Cristo Rey Fiesta. Viva Cristo Rey. Last Friday kicked off day one of the first major festival in the mid-Michigan area, the 36th annual Cristo Rey Fiesta. The festival is the second largest in mid-Michigan. It takes place in the parking lot of the Cristo Rey Parish that sits right inside a residential area on the south side of Lansing. What's nice about this festival is you see that we're in a neighborhood, right? Every year we invite the whole area, the whole neighborhood, you know, we personally invite the whole neighborhood to come out here. And But it's not just this neighborhood or Lansing. People come from Chicago, Texas, Florida to come to this festival every year they come. That is Manuel Delgado Jr., the Fiesta chairman. Um, I'll tell you what, this festival, the way you see it now, we started out in 1979 and our tent was like 10 by 10. This is 200 by 182 of them. And when we first started, maybe we had 100, 200 people coming. And now, of course, we got thousands of people. 
The neighborhood surrounding Crystal Ray Parish was erupting with the sounds of a Mexican celebration day and night for Memorial Day weekend. This fiesta is an annual treat that highlights cultural practices while inviting a diverse population. Our, our, our church is a symbol of the Mexican community, you know, and it's expanded over the years. Now we have uh, people from many of the countries of South America, you know, Guatemala, Venezuela, you know, uh, Cuba. It's not really just for one people, not just for Mexicanos or anything like that. It's for everybody. So the community's accepted it, you know, so hey, everybody gets their coats off and, you know, summer's coming, you know. When they hear about the fiesta, summer's coming, so. This fiesta embodies the joy of a forthcoming summer as barbecue grills ignite and live music plays. What also makes this festival so important is its humanitarian interests. A lot of things. I believe in helping, and that's one reason I joined San, San Vincent de Paul. That's Ben Benavides. Because we went out there, we raised funds, we went out there, or people came over, you know, I came pay the rent, and, you know, helping the people. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't just the Spanish people or just the black people or just the white people. Everybody. Ben is a Lansing resident and started the festival 36 years ago. He is responsible for making non-discriminatory humanitarian work a central characteristic of the Cristo Rey Parish. We use the funds to help uh, support the church because uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, immigrants from Mexico that they're working for $8, $9 an hour. They can't afford, you know, to give the church, let's say, $20, $30, They can't. It's not that they don't want. They can't. Before the conception of the fiesta 30 years ago, Crystal Ray Parish was on the north side of Lansing. Because in the old days and back in the 60s, <laughs> when they were building 496, they, we had to vacate our church that we had. In its place stands the Crystal Ray Community Center, currently directed by Joseph Garcia. I'm the executive director of Crystal Ray Community Center, and uh, I, I wear many hats. One of the main responsibilities is to make sure that, uh, that we are bringing value to the community. The community center is independent from the parish, but their historical connection and dedication to helping those in need makes it hard to mention one without mentioning the other. Crystal Ray Community Center um, has many programs. Primarily, they, they fall into three categories. I often say it's kind of like the three-legged stool. You know, we have a health clinic, we provide uh, mental health services, and we feed people. What are we doing? We're being more aware of the services that already exist. And what we do, we're trying to be the best we can in those particular areas. Because if somebody needs, again, uh, to see a doctor a for a physical health issue, we want to be as best prepared as we can to make sure that we address that properly. If somebody is struggling with, with, uh, with depression or various mental health issues or uh, addiction, you know, we want to make sure that we are in the best position to be able to help them. Food the same way. Um, so we're refining what we do and it's not in an effort to do less. It is, however, in an effort to, pre to, to create or have to bring more value. Many residents in Lansing have taken upon themselves the responsibility to help the people in their community and have done so by getting involved with Crystal Ray. I was lucky I came here back center. in 55. I got a job with General Motors. Mm -hmm. Then I started for $3 an hour. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
my wife and I, uh, my wife worked for the state, I worked for General Motors. So I thank God we, we could afford almost anything we wanted to. But that's not the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. And like I said, here we, we got a lot of uh, people from Mexico. And they work for 8 $9 an hour. What are you going to do with that? You can't even pay rent. You can't. It's, it's, it's awful. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad they're here, yes. But I wish they... They're fighting for 15 Which 15 will help a little more. So for people who are struggling, there are people that would come to the community center. How do you think the festival benefits those people? Well, I think the festival brings joy. And, um, you know, that, that I think lacks in many people's lives. You know, having to deal with the difficult times um, constantly can really be uh, um, draining, very wearing. But events like this Crystal Ray Festival that's been going on for 30 some odd years, I think it's a great opportunity to relax and to be joyful. I know those workers work very hard to put, um, to put such a, a big event together. But they are wearing smiles on their face constantly as well because they can see the benefit. But it's a lot of satisfaction. I believe in talking to people. I've got a smile for everybody. And I just believe in helping people or bringing them in, you know. Enjoy yourself. Have fun for change. Yeah. Crystal Ray Fiesta is known for being a good time. However, it seems that the deeper meaning behind this party is the appreciation the community has for its people. Good evening, and viva Cristo Rey! Viva. Welcome, welcome everyone here tonight. It's just wonderful to have you here on this beautiful, beautiful evening here. We're blessed with great weather. We're blessed with beautiful people who are here tonight. For Impact News, I'm Audrey Matus. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM, Michigan State University's student-run news program. Coming up next, we go to an interview that we did with Joe Hurtler last February. Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers are a local band that are now on tour, and they've made it all the way around and are coming back to Ann Arbor this Saturday. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. I'm sitting down right now with Joe Hurdler from the Joe Hurdler and the Rainbow Seekers. What's going on, Quinn? Hey. Yeah, you're... Uh, Pretty pretty big name around here, right? You're uh, got a got a got a band that came from Lansing. Um, but if anyone who's listening right now may not have heard of this, so give us a quick breakdown. What is Joe Hurdler and the Rainbow Seekers? Um, yeah, we're we're a, we're a six piece band out of out of Lansing, Michigan. Um, we kind of jump all over the place as far as as genre goes, but uh, yeah, we, it, it kind of tends to be like funky jam rock with uh, undercurrents of folk and singer-songwriter kind of stuff. All right, cool. Um, so where and how did the band start originally? Um, the band started on the border of Lansing and East Lansing. About half of us were, were MSU students at the time, um, myself coming from Mount Pleasant um, at CMU. But there was a house right next to El Oasis um, where we first started hanging out. I want to say the first time I hung out with my band, we were actually – making beats like these live analog hip-hop beats for tj duckett's nephew um dante and yeah i, th I want to say that was one of the first times i really hung out with them um but just prior to that i had recorded these these things called the quilted attic sessions in in the 
in the same house. And and there were just these like live sessions. I was very my music was very folk tinged at the time. Um, yeah, it, it was just a, a really fun time. It, it, we were all forced into close quarters together and and became friends. Uh, actually, my bandmates were in were in the band Loon at the time, which was a, a popular um, East Lansing band back in the day. Um, but Loon was kind of entering hiatus mode, and I you know picked up the members when when that happened. So um, yeah, it's been pretty much the same lineup ever since. We've just added members, but um, yeah, the core dudes are still still around and kicking awesome um where, where'd the name come from the joe hurdler and the rainbow seekers um right around that time we were listening to a record by joe sample called rainbow seeker he was a heavily sampled uh, artist um in the hip-hop world uh, especially back in like you know, mid-90s i would say it's like tupac one of his songs is, has a prominent joe sample sample on it um, but yeah, he just has this awesome, awesome album cover where he's like standing all stoic and lofty and there's a rainbow behind him. And I remember saying something like, man, if we were ever in a band, we should, or if we were, if we were ever in a band together, we should be called like the Rainbow Seekers. <laughs> sounds just stupid enough to like work. And, and the, apparently it was. Beautiful. So. Um, if you weren't named Joe Hurdler and the Rainbow Seekers, what, what would be the, the second choice for the name? Oh, God. I don't know. You know, I never really thought about that. We always just kind of sat around and we're like, wow, this name is terrible. It's like <laughs> the worst band name you could ever, ever pick. Um, but I don't think anyone ever like was like challenged it. Yeah. Hey, this is, we should actually be called this like Joe Hurtler and like the bro squirtlers or something. I don't know. There was never <laughs> like an answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you, yeah, you just mentioned that album, but uh, do you have any other musical inspiration when it comes to your, your music? Um, boy, we love D'Angelo. Um, I would say for like band favorites, D'Angelo is huge. Um, I've been like really getting into gospel lately. Um, which have been, you know, obviously it's certainly been done before where a bunch of white dudes are like trying to translate gospel into their own music. But I, you know, trying to like feed off that a little bit with some of this new music. Um, we're also like big fans of Tycho. Um, I am a huge fan of, of house music and, and techno. Um, so I'm always pushing for a four, four dance beat. And I think, I think some of the energy is inspired by, by dance music, um, kind of in the way that you get a whole bunch of people together, just kind of letting go for, for a live event. Um, so, you know, we're pulling influences all over, but really it's just, you know, when you sit down and actually write a piece of music, it's just a culmination of a whole bunch of experiences kind of coming together in a moment, mm-hmm. um, and you translate those the best you can using music as the medium. Awesome. Um, so we hear you've just been signed to mm-hmm. a new label. Um, what label is that? So it's uh, Bad Mascot Records. Um, it's uh, a subsidiary of uni- the Universal Music Group. Um Sam Riddle actually pitched our name uh, probably about a year and a half ago. He is an MSU alumni, former station director of The Impact, good right, friend right. of the Rainbow Seekers. He's kind of, you know, been in our crew for a long time. But, you know, it always was like real wishy-washy. We never really knew. It was always kind of like Sam being like, hey, like, I'm totally pitching your name to, like, a record label. And we're like, cool, man. And then, you know, all of a sudden a year and a half later, it, like, actually happened. Um, I think it was at South by Southwest, like, where they – you know, took us to dinner and, and sat us down. And we're like, hey, this is what we like actually want to do. Sorry, it's been taking so long. Um, 
what was the original question? I think I've been rambling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, yeah, what what have you been signed to? But, I mean, you kind of answered that. So uh, were there any other labels that were a possibility? Not really. I mean, I, we hadn't even really considered, like, pitching ourselves to a label. You know, we've always sort of just been, you know, doing it ourselves. I mean, granted, we have, like, the Rainbow Seeker Ultra Team Network um, that is is as vast as ever. Um, we have lots of people that have, have helped us out. We're very dependent on a lot of them. But, um, yeah, ultimately, it's just been our crew kind of, like, doing its thing. So when the label came about, it was like, you know, honestly, it felt like, you know, another Matt Altruda coming into the picture or another, like, Kevin Meyer with Meridian. Just, like, an, another, you know, group of people that were interested in, in helping us out. Maybe in this in this case, a, a little more on the business side of things. But, um, yeah. It, I really liked um, Josh, our our, um, our our contact there. Um, he was just a, a really cool dude. He's a U of M grad, uh, so he's got Michigan roots, and he manages Mayor Hawthorne. Um, and yeah, I just liked him from the get go, and and I liked the you know the vision of this this new imprint that they were starting, and it just seemed like a good idea. Dope. Um. Do you have a uh, favorite band that you've played with before? Hmm. Man, I mean, Robert Glasper, probably. We we played with him at Common... We played right before him at Common Ground on the same stage this last year. And it was crazy because there wasn't a whole lot of people there. Just, like, brilliant. I, I would say as far as, like, modern jazz composers that are kind of involved in the hip-hop world. Okay. Um, I'd say like he's one of the best right now. Just an, inc- an incredible, incredible musician with a wonderful band. Um, but yeah, playing with Robert Glasper was like a, a special moment. And and we asked him afterwards. Actually, Aaron, our sax player, did. He's like, Robert, did you did you see our set? Like, how were we? Were we good? <laughs> and he's like, I didn't see your set, but I'm sure it was like effing awesome. <laughs> we were like, yeah. <laughs> so we were sh- shared a green room with him, and I just felt like totally unworthy. They're Jeez. so cool. We we seeing Tycho at Electric Forest was was pretty awesome as a band. You know, we we got to kind of all see him um, together, and that was just a wonderful experience as well. Right, right. So you're going on tour now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where's the tour take place? Where's it going through? Boy, I should know these things specifically. Right now, when I think of our tour, I just think of a big oval around the, the U.S. Um, uh, there seems to be little stars and like <laughs> the mountains and the the west coast. <laughs> so that's like when I think tour, I'm like I'm gonna be a gone for like two months and then be west because <laughs> we haven't been out to the west yet and we're so pumped to get out there. Okay, but you have been on tour before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not nothing this extensive though. Honestly, like you know. I think the longest we've done is like seven-ish days, really. Okay. Maybe uh, a little longer in some cases, but... When you were on tour before, uh, how'd you pass the time? Oh, we have our means. So we, we just got a sprinter, which was like huge victory, because if you noticed before, we had like the world's like creepiest, just the worst van of all time. Like we, we crammed like 13 people into it and drove 27 hours to South by Southwest, which, which passing time was difficult then. Um 
But uh, yeah, now we got this sprinter. So like our last little tour, we we like killed the entire first game of Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, we're avid Super Smash Melee players, so okay. we're all gamers. That's the um, best one. Melee do you play the... Melee? I play Melee. Oh man, we follow it. So like we, we're we're like trying to get like the Smash community to come out to our, yeah. our shows as we travel. So like in New York, we had some guys come out once, and um. Yeah, we're all like big fans of like pro smash. Yeah, and just yeah. like honestly pro esports in general. Yeah. Um like Micah is a big StarCraft fan, my keyboard player. Um But yeah, so we play a ton of Smash. It's like nonstop too. So I'm a Marth player, so you can okay, uh, okay. you can all hate on me later. My um, my roommate was a, a Smash guy, he got me into it, and it's unbelievable how competitive that game oh, can man. get. And the level of depth is there's just like infinite things to talk about with smash and then you find random people who are like smash <laughs> and you're like smash and then you're friends instantly like quinn it's great to great to be your friend now <laughs> like you too joe you but too. uh yeah so we play play a lot of smash we just got double dash um which is like i, I arguably you could say the, the best of uh, the most competitive of the mario karts um yeah we're, we're all gamers like we find our ways to stuff i i bring my laptop on so i play a lot of like indie pc games on it stuff but all right so uh kind of to broaden things out i suppose uh what is kind of the greater direction of the band right now the current direction if you will i mean if there was like a true mountain peak to get to the you know to get to i I think it would be that like all of my bandmates um and our team are, are feeding their families off this and that we're we're still happy and like happy um with the art that we're making i think that's like if there was a mountain peak i could like sit and rest on that would be it um there's generally always another peak to get to once you get to to one of them but yeah i i really do believe like my goal in this is to a you know feed our families hopefully and then i think even beyond that is just to kind of give people an experience where they can kind of come and not have to really worry about who they are and just be immersed in a setting, um, a musical setting, um, where, you know, they don't have to worry too much about their lives and just come in and enjoy the music and enjoy the presence of those around them. All right, so uh, kind of a wrap-up thing here. Uh, you said you've been on tour before and you've mm-hmm. been, played a lot of shows. Any Any specific instance that kind of hits your mind that was just an interesting story? Boy, interesting story. This is like way back in the day. I think we were a four piece. It was in Mount Pleasant. It was like a street fair. It was a really fun show. It was like right when like things were kind of getting exciting just in in Mount Pleasant where I was going to school at the time. And uh real cold out and you know, people were drinking and moving about in the crowd. Some dude just like drunkenly jumped on stage and at the time my drummer used to wear this big Yeti helmet. It was massive. It had like these antlers in it that were like glued in it looked totally crazy but he just like stumbled over my drummer took the helmet off put it on his head and then proceeded to stage dive and i just it was like slow motion as everyone just moved away from like where his body was about to make an imprint but there was like two little tiny girls that didn't move away and just got flattened by this (laughs) dude with these antlers on and, and, and like, he just hit, and they just laid there. And everyone was, like, sat, like we kind of kept playing, but it was, like, went into, like, crumbly loop mode. And we are just, like, bleh, bleh, like, that's what it sounded like, kind of. 
is this dude just like f- flat over these these girls, and they were like hurt, and everyone's like, "Oh crap!" And then you know you keep playing and just kind of go, "What the hell was that?" You yeah, know, no one got hurt, but that was a that was a weird one. Awesome. <laughs> well, I hope no one gets hurt on this upcoming tour you got coming on. We're very safe. Yeah, we try our best. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming in, Joe. Thank you, Quinn. Thank you. That was Joe Hurdler from Joe Hurdler and the Rainbow Seekers. Again, you can catch them this Saturday in Ann Arbor coming up on a wrap-up of their tour. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. I am your host, Quinn Hoffman. Coming up next, we go to the strange German town of Frankenmuth for the Frankenmuth Dog Bowl. It hadn't occurred to me that I was a bad pet owner until I attended the 2015 Dog Bowl last weekend. No more for its giant Christmas shop, Frankenmuth, Michigan hosts an event at the Frankenmuth Rivers Place Shops. Easily tens of thousands of people and their pets attended last Saturday. Set up like Olympic Games, there was a 50-yard doggy fun run, disc dog competitions, border collie sheep herding, a doggy dash de lure. You get the picture. But with all these attractions, Frankie Mac and her family drove one and a half hours just for the wiener dog races. Frankie is a three-year-old short-haired dachshund. She's an Okemos native, and according to her family, her best talent is humping their pet cat. She's the underdog that you can't help but root for. This was Frankie's second year competing in the Weenie Dash. Last year, she came in dead last in her heat, and since has put on a little weight. However, Frankie returned this year optimistic while wearing her trademark red bandana. Keeping the Frank and Frankenmuth, 81 Dotsons competed in Saturday's race. Keep in mind that the first dog the track is really only a stretch of grass, less than 50 yards long in the center of the outdoor shopping center. This race requires two owners, each on opposite ends of the track. At the start, one owner is holding their dog as they build for takeoff. At the other end, the owners are calling for their four-legged athlete. Frankie was in the 8th heat, so in the meantime, I checked out the competition. Sitting across the track was a family wearing black t-shirts that in neon green letters read, Team Jack. This seemed like a good start. Sure, I'm Melissa. This is my son Landon, my other son Ethan, my mom Pat, my niece Brooklyn, and my brother Jim. (laughs) And how far you guys did you travel to come here? We are from New Baltimore, Michigan. How far is that from Frankenmuth? It's about an hour and a half. And is this Jack? This is Jack. What kind of dog is Jack? How old is he? He's a miniature dash hound. He's two years old. And is he, com- is he an athlete? Is he competing in today's activities? He is. This is his second year competing. Last year he came in fifth. We have our Team Jack t-shirts on. <laughs> Did you make those last year or after last year's competition? After last year. They're new for this year. What do you really like about all coming as a family to this event? This is one of the few events that we all get together and, you know, share as a family. If it is a a dog race, you know. (laughs) But doing goofy activities like watching a dog race is sort of a requirement when it comes to family. And the dog bowl has proven that dogs are no exception. Okay, so could you tell me your name? My name is Cheryl Green. And where are you from? I'm from Rochester, Michigan. Great. Can you explain this wonderful piece of work you've got? Sometimes it isn't so much about what the dogs are doing that makes the event so unique. It's just the dogs themselves. Well, this is Empress, and she is in all dog dies. Empress is a poodle. In the painted picture here, 
Her full body was pet dyed in yellow. She had bright pink polka dots on her neatly trimmed body. And next to Empress stood another poodle. My name is Kathy and I'm from Clarkston, Michigan. Okay. This is Voltaire. She looked like your ideal Parisian-styled poodle with a large, fluffy mane, but completely magenta. With these decked-out dogs, you would think they'd be showing up for the fashion show, but they're actually service dogs. Finally, the eighth heat, Frankie's competition, was up. All right, do we have eight dogs? Baby. We have eight heaters? good? Are we good over there? Thank you. Are we ready to go? Here we go in three, two, one. Frankie lost again. I actually got the chance to get a brief interview with her right after the race. Frankie, any regrets about your preseason commitment? That's fine. Answered like a true athlete. Despite losing two years in a row, I bet if you asked Frankie, the greatest victory for her occurred after the race when she found a shady place to lay and was surrounded by her loved ones. For Impact News, I'm Audrey Matus. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. You can join the conversation and follow us on Twitter at Impact underscore Exposure. Coming up next, we sit down with Austin Jackson with the program My Brother's Keeper. It's a program to help out young African-American kids in Detroit. Okay, so we're with Austin Jackson today. It's my honor to bring him in today. He is a professor at the Residential College of Arts and Humanities at MSU, where he teaches writing and rhetoric. And he's also the director of My Brother's Keeper, which is a mentoring program at MSU for at-risk black students in Detroit area. So thank you for coming today, Austin. Thank you for having me. And so today you came in to discuss how you're bringing My Brother's Keeper into becoming a float idea or um, having the My Brother's Keeper program um, having a float at the 2016 Detroit Thanksgiving Festival. So we'd like to explain like, how this idea kind of transpired for you. Um, well, yeah, I'm really excited about this project. This came about uh, from an invitation from a few colleagues of mine in, in the RCAH, uh, Vincent Delgado, the Assistant Dean for Civic Engagement, uh, my colleague David Sheridan, who, like myself, teaches Tier 1 writing in ARCA, um, as well as uh, Steve Beidbeck, who's arts faculty, um, they had floated the idea of creating a float and having that associated with the College of Engineering's core experience where first-generation college students entering MSU um, essentially uh, get together during the summertime and they work on a project and they're introduced to the concept of arts, humanities, and engineering together to create um, a fantastic project before they even come to MSU. So this year, Steve Bybeck said that, well, why don't we create a float for the Detroit Parade Company? And long story short, um, discussions um, focused on My Brother's Keeper because we wanted to focus on, they wanted to make a connection with um, our major theme, which is um, Detroit Remix, creativity, inclusion, and performance. And that's essentially how the idea pretty much came about. Okay, so... Um, also, in light of so, my brother's keeper is bringing mm -hmm. kids from Paul Robinson's Malcolm X Academy. Mm -hmm. They're mostly middle school students, mm -hmm. and um, they're all African American. In light of recent events here happening in media, like Ferguson uprisings, what is your kind of your goal or your reason for putting these kids on these um, platform and this parade? Okay. Well, first, a word about the My Brother's Keeper program. Mm -hmm. The My Brother's Keeper program was created in 1990 
um, in order to deal with um, the ongoing crisis of at-risk black males. Um, essentially, uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, in Detroit, in most major cities, but in Detroit, uh, the, the problem was particularly acute. Uh, we were losing one out of three black males to drugs, incarceration, um, gun-related violence, um, and so on. So parents in the community got together and said that we need the state to do something about this and called on um, black studies faculty here at Michigan State, like Geneva Smitherman and others, to create a program that would help um, make, a, make a difference in the lives of, the, of these kids, um, not just in school, but outside of school as well. And since we've been around, um, we know that My Brother's Keeper has been pretty effective in uh, making a difference in their lives. The Paul Robeson Malcolm X Academy was initially for all, um, w- was for all males um, in order to focus um, educational resources mm-hmm. um, on that particular population. And we know that it works because um, through Afrocentric education, um, focusing on the culture and history and experiences of African-Americans and making that an integral part of these kids' educational experience. Um, in the mid-90s, these kids scored um, the highest test scores um, on the um, standardized uh, Michigan test. I think it was called the um, MEAP. So while we certainly have experienced educational success, the My Brother's Keeper program tries to extend that success outside the classroom mm-hmm. um, because what happens outside the classroom, as you know, as an ARCA student, um, what happens outside the classroom is just as important, if not more important, than um, a lot of times what happens inside the classroom. So the goal of My Brother's Keeper is to provide positive role models than the sort of um, role models that they might be modeling in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is a drug dealer or a pimp or someone participating in the underground economy of these kids' community, well, that's an education. So we're trying to reach them, you know, not just in school, but My Brother's Keeper focuses on what we can, how can we can connect with them outside of school as well. So I just wanted to give that context what My Brother's mm-hmm. Keeper is. Um, I think that um, personally, um, the time for more programs like My Brother's Keeper is really critical in the context of the Ferguson uprisings. Um, these extrajudicial police killings of unarmed black men and boys, by the way, um, a lot of these um, victims um, have been children. Um, My Brother's Keeper can't necessarily serve as a cure-all you know, for the kinds of institutionalized racism, racial profiling, and so on that's causing um, you know, these, these events. But what we can do is give these kids a sense of hope um, and imp- hopefully empower them to make um, solid decisions within their own personal lives and also to politicize them as well, to give them um, a sort of framework, a critical understanding of the world in which we live so they can make informed decisions on how they might survive within it. So, um, well, how does this relate to issues of afloat? Well, let me try to connect that for you. Um, Well, I think that one of the things that we try to do in ARCA is that we try to harness the best of the arts and humanities um, for the purpose of social justice. That's one of our major goals, Um, trying to find ways that we can um, engage in creative problem-solving so it's not just that we're just making art for art's sake. We're making art that hopefully through the process will create um, intimate bonds between people, between students and community members, and also um, through the process of creativity, um, develop analytical skills you know, that, might, um, that, they, that, that students could apply in any um, aspect of their lives, either in school or outside of school. So, and I think that many of our students um, have an interest in science and technology and engineering, and this is just a great opportunity to do that. 
So that's one goal. Um, another goal, more broadly um, put, I guess, is that we also want more positive representations of young at-risk black males. I suspect that one of the reasons why we keep seeing you know, these incidences in which black males are uh, racially profiled, um, victims of uh, police violence and violence amongst even people that are not police, like, for example, in the case of George Zimmerman, um, that there's not a lot of positive moral models. There's not a lot of positive images of black males um, in the media. And, um, and what we want to do with this float in part is to, you know, show um, the world, uh, show, certainly Detroit, you know, that these kids are, you know, like any other kids, they're creative and they, um, many of them are ingenious and they have something to contribute. And um, I would also say that, you know, Detroit has been through a lot. Detroit is in recovery. There's still a lot of struggles um, to go on. We want to make a contribution, you know, to the city itself. You know, we want to show um, the people of Detroit that they can take pride in this institution, uh, the Paul Robeson Malcolm X Academy and My Brother's Keeper, um, and, um, and to have that on television, um, I think, would, um, would be a significant boost, I think. Also, why do you think it's important to collaborate? I know in ARCA it's very important to bring students mm -hmm. to Detroit. Why do you think it's important to bring these students to Detroit and interact in this environment and mm -hmm. bring it back? Um, that's a good question. I would say that, well, first let me point out that there are multiple levels of student collaboration here and multiple levels of institutional collaboration. Um, we have, on the one hand, um, students that, are in My Brother's Keeper that attend the Paul Robeson Malcolm X Academy, which is a um, K through um, eighth grade school, um, collaborating with our mentors in My Brother's Keeper, which are MSU students, many of them ARCA, but they come from all over the un university. And we train uh, My Brother's Keeper students not just to engage in sort of traditional mentoring per se, but we create curricula. We engage in direct teaching on subject matter, you know, that is relevant. Uh, for example, I mentioned our last year's theme, which I think we're going to go ahead and continue this year, of um, creativity, you know, and performance. So we have ARCA students being trained by um, ARCA faculty and the best traditions of um, art and social activism. They take that learning and then they apply it um, to the work with these young, young men. Um, and also women, by the way. Um, I forgot to mention earlier this year, um, I was asked to take over the girls program as well. So... Our program has increased, you know, by, you know, 100% because My Brother's Keeper also includes a sort of nascent My Sister's Keeper as well. And we have a total of about 55 students that we're working with right now. Um, so, so we have that, that, that collaboration. But then we have um, another level of collaboration in which graduate students serve as sort of leaders of My Brother's Keeper. Um, students, many of the students are from um, the Ph.D. program in African American and African Studies right now. We have a great student named A.J. Rice who's been taking the lead on, um, you know, helping us get things together with logistics and stuff like that. And then when it comes to this particular project, this collaboration between MSU, you know, the Ford Fund and the Detroit Parade Company, we have institutional um, collaboration as well. So me and my colleagues um, collaborating with um, the College of Engineering, uh, my colleague uh, Tim Hines there as well as this partnership agreement that's basically with Detroit Public Schools. So there's multiple levels of collaboration. Well, why is collaboration important? Well, um, earlier I mentioned um, the idea of creative problem solving and to engage in creative problem solving, we need to harness um, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary knowledge from 
you know, all different types of fields. Um, the idea, you know, of um, creative genius, you know, we're sitting alone in our office or in our cubicle and ideas kind of come from the heaven. That doesn't work. Um, the problems facing us in the 21st century are multi-leveled and complex. And so, therefore, we have to bring together, you know, um, a wide diversity of, of people um, together in order to harness their expertise. Great. And so how can MSU student get involved with MBK? Um, they can contact me. Um, they can send me an email. Um, they can go to the RCAH website. Um, there are links there. And we're also on social media as well. Uh, my email address is jax381. Um, so that's probably the easiest way to get, get to get involved. Yes. And anything else you'd like to add about this program and the float construction, the parade construction? Um, I'm looking for anyone who's interested in joining this project. Um, this is very exciting, um, but this is also very new. So I would love to see um, students who have an interest in engineering, but also want to give something back to the community as well, um, particularly for those students who um, you know, are looking for opportunities to make a difference with their education. That's something I hear, I've heard a lot of, you know, like how can I really make a difference? Not just get a job, but how can I use my degree for the common good? Well, this is a, a great platform for this. And many times students that are in engineering and the sciences, sometimes they don't really have the benefit of um, being exposed to some of the conversations like we have right. in the arts humanities and vice versa as well. So, um, yeah, I just want um, anyone to get involved. And there's no special training or you need. Only thing you need is an interest in um, working with kids and, um, and collaborating with your fellow students. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in today, Austin. Well, it was a you, pleasure Audrey. and hope to hear more about this project in the future. Thank you very much, Audrey. All right. That's it for tonight. All episodes are podcasted on Impact's website at impact89fm.org. I'd like to give a special thanks to our assistant news director, Audrey Matus, our station manager, Sammy Leonardo, and our general manager, Ed Glazer. You've been listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM, and I've been your host, Quinn Hoffman. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.